As we come to God's word this morning, let's pray. Lord, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul prayed for the Ephesians that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they might understand all the things that they had received in you and that they might know you better. And Lord, we pray that this morning, that just upon us, upon your church, there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation today. We pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. We thank you, God, that your word is not dead. It is a living word that leads us to a living Savior. And this morning, God, we ask your blessing upon our study, upon our time in the the scripture. May we be taught by your spirit, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 22, verse 7. I'm going to read the story of Jesus and the first uh, Lord's Supper. Then came the day of the un- of unleavened bread, which is on the on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, "Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it." And they said, "Where will we? Where will you have us prepare it?" And he said, "Behold." When you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table And the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead without, with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For who any, anyone who drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will come. I will give directions when I come. The Corinthian church. Um, you know, I mentioned last week, in a lot of ways, it was a gong show. I mean, that's just the truth. Uh, they'd figured out the salvation story. They'd come into faith in Jesus Christ. Paul had spent 18 months with them. But now it's years after, five years or so, and Paul's moved on. And you know, if, if you were new to Corinth and you were like doing the church thing, like, hey, this Sunday we'll go here, this Sunday we'll go here, this Sunday we'll go here, and we're going to pick a church. If you went to this church, you'd probably get up and run. Seriously, Brian and Denise, it's like this in Kamloops. 920 Ferry, okay? I mean, this is quite the, the summary of a church that Paul says, your communion, like you practicing the Lord's Supper does more harm than it does good. He says, but in the following instructions, I don't command you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but the worse. And... I mean, at least that's the description of their participation in the Lord's Supper. And we talked about what was going on with head coverings and the, and the women in the church there last week and not much further beyond a gong show. Verse 18 says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. You know, it, it's tragic to think that a church can gather and it does more damage than it does good. We may remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, way back when, Paul, Paul said to this group, he says, I wish I could address you as spiritual, but I can't. You're carnal. You're worldly. There, there's division and there's strife among you. There's parties. There's, there's factions. And there's envy. And there's strife. I was wondering if something was going on here this morning. As I saw, this side was quite empty for a while if there was strife in our church. <laughs> and the word faction, there's factions among you. The King James Version says that there's heresies among you. The Vines Dictionary defines that word faction or heresy as a choosing, a choice. That which is chosen, an opinion especially a self-willed opinion which is substituted for submission to the power of the truth. And it leads to division and factions and formings of sects and parties. And 
that's what was happening here surrounding the Lord's Supper. There were erroneous opinions that were more about personal preference and personality than it was about the Lord's Supper and what all that meant. And you know, there are times, Paul says, when differences in a church are inevitable. They happen. I mean, if you've kicked around churches for very long, you know that differences and, and, and factions happen. And Paul says that it's necessary, that it actually has to happen. You know, we, we mourn over those things. Obviously, we mourn over that. It's awful. If you've ever been a part of any tragic thing in a church, it, you don't want to be a part of it. But Paul says that it's actually necessary. It's actually necessary to demonstrate who has God's approval and who doesn't. Presumably, I would think by the, 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 the blessing of God's presence on those who do have his approval, by the blessing of him vindicating them. And in, and in regards to the Corinthians, it was... It was clear that they did not have God's approval in the way they were behaving at the Lord's table. You know, as I think about that, I, I honestly think there are times when people need to be encouraged to leave the church that they're a part of. They're not preaching Christ. They're not honoring the word of God. Out, man. Unless the Lord tells you to stay and, and be a remnant there, Get out before you get sucked into the vacuum. Go somewhere where they're preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 20, Paul says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. You know, when you turn to uh, the book of Acts and you begin to just read about the outpouring of the Spirit and what was happening in the early days of the church, you get the sense, Acts 2.42, that the Christians were meeting daily. They were spending time in the word, prayer, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. That, that communion... Uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper was something that the church was doing as a daily practice er early on. And they went from house to house and they were meeting. I, I was just thinking as I'm saying that, I'm like, it'd be just awesome for us on one of our Koinonia nights just to have communion together in a house. Not just here, because it's not just to be regulated here. And in the early church, it was happening from house to house and over time, what began to develop, you get this sense from reading the New Testament, that they began to celebrate what was called the agape feast, the love feast. Church was famous for it in the Roman Empire because when you called it a love feast, people had different, people who, who worshiped pagan gods had a different idea of what was happening. And what the church would do is gather together and they would, they would have a potluck like we often do and they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. It was part of their time of worship, part of their fellowship, time of the, part of their time of honoring the Lord. And it, and it seems quite possible that maybe communion, that the celebration of the Lord's Supper went from something that was happening every day to something that was happening on Sundays at these agape feasts maybe or wherever it was. And that was the practice in Corinth. Paul had established the church. Paul had been the church planter. And as you read this, you get this sense that it wasn't daily happening from house to house, but once a week when they were gathering to worship and to seek the Lord, 
part of what was happening was this potluck dinner, this agape feast. And um, I think Paul established that. And everyone came. You know, don't you love our, our potluck feasts that we have sometimes here? We're doing one next week. And by the way, I should mention that. It's, we're going ethnic, okay? So just go ethnic. Bring your favorite ethnic thing and bring lots. And we'll feast next week, okay? And I turn 40 next Sunday. Shona put it in the bulletin. So I was like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about growing a mullet in my, uh, you know. No, just kidding. Skullet. Yeah, that's better, Brian. Skullet. Everybody would gather, the church would gather, the poor, the rich, the young, the old, the slave, the free, male, female, kids, elderly, and they'd just have this dinner together. It was awesome. Fellowship. They enjoy being the family of God together. And, you know, if you think about it, I, I'm sure there were people who the agape feast that happened once a week was um, may, maybe because of their financial situation, the best meal that they got all week long, you know. It was like, whew, we're going hungry a lot of the week, but we got the agape feast on Sunday, so we'll, we'll fill up there. I remember one time when we had a potluck here, there was a family that, um, brought a beautiful plate of smoked salmon, this nice big plate of smoked salmon. And there was one person, a young person, and I'll refrain from dropping names this morning, uh, but their last name starts with an R. <laughs> and that young person heaped their plate with smoked salmon. Like, I mean, heaped. And uh, the dad of the unnamed, the unnamed dad, of the unnamed offender. <laughs> Found out what was going on and I made my son put most of it back. <laughs> and uh, we had a little chat about consideration for others at a potluck dinner. It was pretty funny. And Paul had established this practice in, in Corinth and five years have gone by and look what the agape feast, feast has downgraded to, the degrade, the de-evolution of this meal sharing together in common and eating the Lord's Supper and it had more or less become a drunken party. I mean, you think about that. People were getting drunk. Like, you think about that in the context of a church. Some people were coming early, eating all the good stuff. Ooh, smoked salmon. It's all gone. The poor would come and the rich had helped themselves to the nice stuff and the things that had been brought and the poor were left with the, the humble things that they had brought and no one was considering one another and, and others were getting carried away with the communion juice. It's crazy. Can you imagine? I don't want to imagine it. I mean, imagine being a poor person coming to that church service and that dinner and looking forward to the chance to like eat with family, with friends, with your brothers and sisters in Christ and um, being a little bit nervous coming to church because you didn't have a lot to bring and then you get there and like all the good stuff's gone and it would be humiliating. And we're going to have communion today. Um, celebrate the Lord's Supper and... If you were counting on this as your chance to eat and stuff up, 
stuff your face at the Lord's Supper, you'd be a little bit disappointed with our portions. But the problem was this. Here's the problem in Corinth. The Corinthian church had forgotten that there was a higher purpose for their gathering than just simply stuffing their faces. Paul says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul says something amazing here. I mean, if you just stop and think about what he says for a second here, it's, it's kind of shocking because he says, I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. Now I think about that and I think, wait a minute. Paul, Paul wasn't in the upper room. We just read the Luke account. He wasn't there. He wasn't one of the 12 that was with Jesus when Jesus established the practice of the Lord's Supper. But he says, I received this from the Lord. And what he's saying is, he had direct and spe special revelation from Jesus Christ himself in regards to the practice of the Lord's Supper. I mean, somewhere in the course of Paul's life and ministry, after he had met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus came to him and Jesus explained to him the significance of the Lord's Supper. We know Paul had a, a significant period of time. From after Damascus Road and the early days of ministry, there was a point in time where Paul went and he had his own desert time for 14 years. The Lord took him into the desert school of ministry and began to revamp his theology, rewire him, teach him, show him how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies and the, the Torah that Paul had studied all those years of his life under all the great teaching that he had. And Jesus took him and said, I fulfill this, Paul, I fulfill this. Look, this is me, Paul, this is me, this is me. And God prepared him to be the apostle that he was and he received that desert training. And somewhere in that time, Jesus came to him and said, Paul, you weren't there. But let me tell you what happened. Let me, let me tell you about the night that I was betrayed when we gathered to celebrate the Passover. I mean, we started reading Luke's account. And let's think about this. Put the pieces together. Luke wasn't there either. Luke wasn't there on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And Luke tells us at the start of his gospel that he researched that he went to the witnesses that he found out. And it's very likely that, uh, that regarding that night and the inst institution of the Lord's Supper and what happened that night is that Luke probably, because he was with Paul all the time, drew a lot of his research from Paul and what Jesus had revealed to Paul. And as Paul renews this institution of the Lord's Supper amongst the Corinthians, uh, it helps our understanding, it helped the Corinthian understanding to recognize that Paul received this instruction from Jesus Christ by special revelation. And this was a dignified, solemn practice of the church. 
that it was even more than that. The Lord's Supper was something that the church was to celebrate that was, that was magnificent, that, that is to be awe-inspiring. That's not mourning. That's a rejoicing. I mean, you think about it. This is, the Lord's Supper is one of, one of two ordinances that Jesus left his church. The other is water baptism. We know that by which we make a public confession of faith. Publicly, we identify ourselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We go into the waters and it signifies us being buried with Christ and as being raised to new life in Christ. And it declares to the world, I'm a follower of Jesus. I identify my life with him. I found life in him. Water baptism is wonderful. You know the thing about water baptism, though, it's, it's something you, you do it once. You make that public declaration. But the ordinance of the Lord's Supper is something that we get to do regularly. We come to the table of the Lord. This is our third Sunday in a row of partaking the Lord's Supper. We don't do that very often around here. You know, usually we kind of do the first Sunday of the month sort of thing and which is next Sunday, so count on it next Sunday. <laughs> and it's not our usual practice, but the, the text and the scripture that we've been in, I felt is just kind of dictated the fact we need to be coming to the Lord's table these Sundays. And, and I heard several times in the last couple, week, couple weeks, we're doing communion this week? We did it last week. <laughs> wait, wait a minute, three weeks in a row? Why do we do communion three weeks in a row? And I, I, I just chuckled about it because, you know, I'm not, I'm not picking on anyone, you know, but it's, to, it's good to challenge the culture of our, our church that would say, once a month? Why just once a month? I mean, are you kidding? This isn't a we have to. This is a we get to. We get to take the Lord's Supper this morning, my friends. We get to come to the table and remember. And... and Paul's explanation here just adds to the we get to when we consider his words. He says, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed and what has Paul said? Jesus gave thanks. The hand of Judas was with his hand on the table and he gave thanks. The Greek word that describes the Giving thanks is this. I can't, I can't say it right in the Greek way, but it's Eucharistio. Of course, that word is taken into some church tra traditions and they call the Lord's Supper the Eucharist. And, and, it, and it means to give thanks, to be grateful, to feel thankful, to give thanks. This is an expression of gratitude. Uh, in that sense, it's a wonderful name. For coming to the Lord's table to say it, this is giving thanks. This is the Eucharist. And when he had given thanks, when Jesus had given thanks, the Gospels tell us that he, he sung a hymn with his disciples and then they went out to the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it seems from the reading of the scriptures that the Garden of Gethsemane was something, some, a place that Jesus frequented often with his disciples to pray. Uh, we, we know that because Judas knew to lead the captors to the Garden of Gethsemane. And everything we read about that night suggests it was cold. I mean, later on, 
Peter's warming himself by a fire and trying to get warm. And, and, and there's Jesus in the garden on a cold night. And the scripture says he was sweating and his sweat was like great drops of blood. A condition called, uh, I don't know if I can say this one right either. <laughs> the condition called hematohydrosis. A rare condition where human beings sweat blood. Blood vessels in the skin begin to just bleed under the duress of extreme anguish and extreme anxiety and pressure. And Jesus Christ was experiencing that in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's interesting that it's Luke who was a physician, a medical doctor, is the one who reports that in Jesus' anguish as he prayed, he sweat drops of blood. Luke understood medically what he was saying. He said the blood came off him and it fell to the ground as he sweat. No doubt as Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, he understood what lay before him that night. Everything that was to come. You think about it with the, with the traitor at the table. Death present before his eyes. He left this ordinance to his followers. He left, he instituted the Lord's Supper as a gift to his church to commemorate his death as a memorial. And, and though, you know, he was about to receive such injury from men and the rejection of those who he came to save, he thanked God. I mean, think about that. He thanked the Lord. And he gave this amazing pledge of love for us. And you think about the church in Corinth. And what they had turned the practice of the Lord's Supper into. Division, gluttony, drunkenness. I mean we could go on with the list. And the heart of Paul. The, the mind of Paul. Uh, in the mind of Paul is, is he considered what was going on. He, he recalled in his own mind. In his own heart. He he hearkened back to the days when Jesus revealed to him all the meaning of the Lord's Supper. He hearkened back to the days when Jesus saved him from the darkness of dead religion. When he was consumed with hatred for the followers of Christ and sought to persecute them, Jesus met him and he transformed him. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, Jesus was in the midst of being betrayed as he gave thanks. Judas had already struck the deal. 30 pieces of silver. As he sat beside Jesus with his hand on the table, I probably had his other hand in his pocket playing with the silver that was there for which he had sold the Lord. And I think that it was as Jesus gave thanks that Judas probably rose up. You know, they bowed their heads to pray and Judas stood up and slipped out of the room at that time. And when we think about the Lord's Supper and all that Jesus was trying to accomplish that night and what Paul was seeking to communicate the church, we, we need to recognize his heart as he instituted it. The broken bread. 
the cup. These elements of remembrance, these elements to be a memorial of his death until he comes. Take and eat, Jesus said to his disciples. Take it in your hand. Lay hold of the bread and the cup. Not, not in memory of like a memorial like RIP, like rest in peace. It, it's not supposed to be mournful, but an affectionate calling to mind of the Lord who saved us. Jesus, I remember. I remember the cross, Jesus. I remember you, Jesus. I call to mind who you are and I think about you and what you've done for me. And I remember not mournful, affection, joy, thanksgiving. And the Corinthians didn't understand. They were defiling the memorial. They, were effect, they weren't affectionately remembering Jesus. They're getting drunk, right? That's the scene there. They didn't understand. And you know, whatever the church has turned the Lord's Supper into over the millennia, I would say this, it's not meant to be a mystery, it's not. This is a, a practice of holy simplicity as we come to the table this morning. We, 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 take, the, we take the cracker, the bread. We, we take the cup. And they're things that we can touch and we can handle. And they remind us and they tell us we are paid for. I'm paid for. I, take the bre- I mean, take the bread in your hand this morning and break it and say I'm paid for. Jesus bought me. Drink that cup and say purchase with blood. The debt is paid. We've been redeemed. Forgiveness and fellowship are ours. With affection, we call to mind the cross and we remember Jesus who gave it all. And we give thanks to him. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, uh, something interesting Paul tells us about partaking in the Lord's Supper is that it is an act of proclamation. Every time we meet around the table, the gospel is symbolized and the gospel is proclaimed. The word proclaim expresses here in the Greek the thought of an activity directed towards men and women that by participation, we are preaching. I mean, I would say this to you this morning. Don't reduce the definition of preaching to something that just comes from the pulpit. We're all preaching this morning as we come to the Lord's table. We're proclaiming his death. And by sharing in the Lord's Supper, we are are preaching and we are keeping the death of Christ central to our thinking. We give public evidence uh, to everyone who would observe, to all that would watch. We give public evidence of of the gospel that centers on the Lord Jesus Christ and his saving work of the cross. See, his, his death was not just because he was righteous. His death was a sacrifice for sinners. 
He shed his blood for sinners. And for this reason, you know, I, I, I think we do a disservice when we see the Lord's Supper as, we do a disservice to Jesus. When we see the Lord's Supper as something that he commanded the church to do, it, it, it's not so much a command as it is a, as it is a request. It's a request. Remember me. Remember me. I shed my blood for you. Remember me. And it's a request that the church is to often and, and perpetually fulfill. He says in verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and so eat the bread, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And Paul doesn't say, look at whoever eats is unworthy. I, I'm, I'm reminded of Revelation chapter five. In Revelation chapter five, as John was having his vision of the whole Revelation thing, and God was revealing to him his his plan and what he had, uh, what the future held. In Revelation chapter five, we read that John saw the throne of God. And he who was sitting on the throne held in his hand a scroll and it was sealed with seven seals. And there was a voice proclaimed in, in heaven, a strong angel who proclaimed, who is worthy to open the scroll that is sealed? And John began to weep because as the search went out to find out who was worthy to open the seal, the, the search happened under earth and on earth and in heaven and there was no one found in heaven or on earth or under the earth who was worthy to open the scroll. And then one of the elders around the throne said to John, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus opened the scroll. And many people feel unworthy. They say, oh, Lord's Supper, oh, am I weak? You don't know, I... I just, I, I should probably refrain from partaking this morning. And I don't think Paul's saying stay away from the table because you feel unworthy. Look, I mean, in light of the cross, every single one of us feels unworthy. But the cross purchased that for us so that we can come to the table. You know, it's like a doctor saying, get well, and then come see me. Okay, next week, when you're feeling better, come see me and we'll figure out what happened. <laughs> Come to the table. The Lord's place is the, the Lord's table is the very place for the person struggling with sin. The Lord's table is the very place needed for the person wrestling with their temptation. The Lord's table is the very place needed for the, for the one who is caught in the carnality in, in, of this world. And it's here as we come to the table and we, we take the elements that, that we say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I remember you. This is left to me. This thing is a train wreck. I need you, Jesus. I need you. And we take the bread and we drink of the cup and we know, oh, I'm forgiven. Oh, in spite of my sin, in spite of my temptations, in spite of my carnality, you saved me. And we celebrate it. And so as Paul says, here not to eat in an unworthy manner, what does he mean? Well, 
he gives us a, a couple things to consider as we come to the table. He says, firstly, exi- this, examine himself. Let a man examine himself. Let a person examine himself. Examine, it means, you know, do the test. Do a little soul searching. Scrutinize yourself. Check it out. Am I genuine? Am I the real deal or am I not? It's like the idea of testing metal. Testing gold to make sure that it's pure. Recognize yourself as genuine after examination and approved and come to the table. And we're to test ourselves not on the basis of ourselves. So let's make this clear. We test ourselves on the basis of what? The cross that purchased our salvation. Man, if I'm the, if I'm the, if if I just, I test myself against the cross and I remember the blood of Christ and I say, he bought me. I'm going to the table to celebrate. But Paul also says this, as a man examines himself, he says, discern the body. Verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. I mean, we, we, we hold in our hands as we come to the Lord's table the cup of the covenant, the new covenant, his blood. We hold in our hand uh, the bread which represents his body and we discern what those things make, we make what, what they mean. We make a judgment. We, we think about it. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ brought us into God's family. Because of the death of Jesus Christ, his broken body and his blood that was shed, we call God our Father. But not only does the cross of Christ allow us to call God our Father, we get this incredible sense here that the cross of Christ also means that we have been brought into the body of Christ. Family. Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the family of God. We're the church. We are the body of Christ. And if by our behavior, like in Corinth, we act in ways of hurt or to humiliate one another or we despise one another and at the same time we call one another brother and sister, we sin against the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're to discern the body, the family of God. This verse is speaking of the family of believers. Look, when we, when we say that we love God and then we cause division or strife in the body, that doesn't add up. That doesn't add up in the heart of God. And in Corinth, they forgot that they were gathering for a higher purpose than their physical appetite. Drunkenness, gluttony, strife, faction were the fruit of selfishness, self-opinion, Serving yourself and forgetting other people. And Paul says, you need to discern the body. It's interesting here as you think about, as you think about this, he, he's telling the church, you need to look in a bunch of different directions. Look in. Take a look in yourself. Verse 27 through 34. Look in and recognize I am unworthy. Then he says this, look back. Look back in remembrance with all of your unworthiness. Remember the pain of Jesus. Remember his pain. Rejoice in your gain. Come to the table. Not what I should be, but I'm not what I was. 
purchased by the blood of Jesus. I come to the table. We look in. We look back. He says in verse 24 and 25, we should look up following the example of Jesus who gave thanks to his Father in heaven. The night that he was betrayed. Oh, Jesus, I look in. I'm unworthy. I look back. I remember the cross. I come. I give you thanks because you saved me. We look up. Says we should look forward. Look for the coming of the Lord, verse 26. And verse 17, kind of in through 22, you know, in there, he says, look around. I kind of think about that in two ways. L- look around to see those that don't know Jesus. You're proclaiming his death until he comes. You're preaching the gospel. But also, and I think this is really important, look, look around and make sure you're in a relationship of fellowship and love with the people of God. That's why in another place, Paul says, man, if there's something against you and your brother, just leave the table and go get that squared away and then come back and participate. You know, the body of Jesus was beaten and pierced and whipped and scourged, but the scripture tells us that there was not a broken bone. I don't know when it happened in the whole process. The the Bible doesn't tell us, but somewhere in that process of, of the beatings and the things that Jesus inter, endured, the, the scripture tells us that he, that he purchased our healing. By his stripes we are healed. And Paul says, we need to discern the body of Jesus And we need to discern this body, the family of God, the body of Christ. And primarily, uh, in failure not to discern Christ's body, not, not so much as, I think, to discern Christ's body, but to, in failure not to discern the body of Christ, Paul gives this warning. He says, because you don't discern the body, verse 30, That is why many of you are weak and ill. And some have died. Footnote probably says fallen asleep. Some of you are weak. It means you're powerless. There's there's no power in your, your walk with Jesus. There's no power in your Christian life. Some of you are ill physically. I I think of the spirit spiritually ill. Some die. Some fall asleep. I think of that as a spiritual picture too. I mean, he's, he's talking about literal death and falling asleep. But he says, some slums sleep spiritually. Verse 29, just backing up for a second. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's not the, that's not the judgment of eternal damnation. It's the judgment of God for the purpose of discipline. To lead to repentance. The discipline of the Father. Because, here's what Paul's saying. Because your lives are inconsistent as you come to the table, there's sickness and there's weakness amongst you. You know, it's interesting that over the years, um, 
I, I've observed that in the body of Christ, um, at times when there's, when there's people who don't feel a part of the body, I just, you know, I don't feel, or they're frustrated with church, or they're not feeling connected, uh, sometimes even ready to leave, pull the pin, I'm, I'm on my way out, and uh, as a pastor, sometimes you can see those things. The Lord just gives you discernment and you observe. And um, there are a number of times when I've seen things like that and then something happens in that person's life. Whatever, I don't know, whatever. Not, but something happens. Let's say sickness, for instance. And all of a sudden, the body of Christ just rallies around. <laughs> People start calling, said, I'm praying for you. Wednesday night prayer, they're the topic of prayer. Um, People start showing up at their door. They drop off flowers. They, they, bring, they, they bring meals. And the one who is failing to discern the body ends up being surprised by the love of the body. And it's like really beautiful. It's a really beautiful thing to go, wow. They just thought all those people were just didn't care about them and they didn't fit in. And then something happened and God, it was like, it was like God brought that thing so that the body could come and do ministry to that person and say, no, you're loved. You're valued. Jesus has a place for you. And so as Paul says, you know, we should look around, discern the body, discern to make sure that we're in a fellowship, uh, in a relationship of fellowship and love with God's people. You know, I would, I would encourage you this morning, as you partake in the Lord's Supper, discern the body. That's awesome, Donna. <laughs> like some people need to be set free from their cell phones. <laughs> uh, we, we love God and we love people. And so we discern what's happening. If there's broken relationship today, if there's strife between you and other people, go and make it right. In fact, Paul says this. If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. See, Paul's saying God's judgment in this situation is not for eternal damnation. It's to bring discipline so that it doesn't end up going that far. And he says we need to judge ourselves. Look in, look around. It's interesting that word judge is the same word to discern. Discern the body, discern your Discern yourself. You see, God's divine discipline is a sign of his love. Did you know that? His discipline is a sign of his love. Hebrews 12, 6, the Lord disciplines those he loves with a merciful purpose to prevent their final condemnation. Uh, as Paul says here, so that they will not be condemned with the world. And in the midst of judgment, God remembers mercy. And you know that? You've been feeling, maybe you just feel like I'm the Lord's whipping post. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Seriously, Lord, what's going on? This, 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 this. I'll tell you what, take heart. Because, because those that God is, who he is doing that in their lives, he loves them very deeply. If he's been frequently disciplining you, then man, know that he tenderly loves you. It's, 
kindness to use the rod. That's not culturally kosher. But that's what the scripture says. It's kindness to discipline your children. You know, a, a scripture verse that I've just been meditating on and enjoying so much lately in my own personal time is from Lamentations chapter 3, 31 through 33. And it's written by Jeremiah, a man who very much knew the discipline of the Lord in his own life. And he said this, For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And then Jeremiah says this, For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. God won't cast off forever. Though he cause grief, he's going to have compassion because he's full of steadfast love. Last couple verses here. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Probably a good idea today. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give direction when I come. Yeah, wait for one another. Like I said, if you're I'm going to fill up communion wafers and crackers and communion cups. You're going to be disappointed this morning. I think, when I think about this text, the word look provides uh, that helpful way to kind of digest all that's being said here and the significance of the Lord's Supper. We look in. We look back. We look up. We look forward. We look out. That's the Lord's Supper. Worship team, I'm going to Invite you guys to come. Why don't you guys stand? We're going to pray. And these guys are going to lead us in a song of worship. And as your heart is prepared, man, come to the table. If you need to take some time to pray with someone, maybe, you know, I... This week at Week of Prayer, we had an awesome week of prayer. All week long, we were looking at spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Maybe you even sense as you're partaking in the Lord's Supper that God is directing you to go pray for someone, to encourage them, to give them a word of wisdom or knowledge or prophecy. I encourage you, have the freedom to be the church and go and do ministry to one another as we partake in the Lord's Supper this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Oh God, we love you. And Jesus, we just remember your cross this morning. We remember it. We remember you. And we thank you, God, you gave us the Lord's Supper as a gift, a memorial. And God, I thank you that this is a request more than it's a command. And so Jesus, we hear your invitation this morning to come to the table in spite of our sin, in spite of our carnality, in spite of the battle with temptation, though we're not worthy in and of ourselves, you purchased it for us. And so this morning, Jesus, we, we heed the call, we hear your request, and we'll come, Lord. We'll remember you and we'll honor you today. And so, Lord, we love you. Pray your blessing on your people in Jesus' name. Amen.